Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. We are back with On Second Thought from GPBM Virginia Prescott. My next guest has played a critical role on almost everything you've watched on GPB TV over the past three decades. Production manager Rosser Shemansky retires Friday after 31 years with Georgia Public Broadcasting. He began his career as a receptionist, answering the phones, a more critical part of operations back then, and concludes this week with his final Hawaiian shirt Friday. That is a tradition that has become a mainstay here, just like Rosser himself. Although he spent a lot of time behind the camera at GPB, he is no stranger to the spotlight as a star. Fighting crime from the country that brought her up out of that mine. Buddy. Star booty, the motion picture, star and RuPaul. RuPaul is star booty. Star booty, star booty, star booty, yay! Star booty. And that is the star drag queen featured in various incarnations on People TV. That's a public access channel from 1987 to 2004. We're going to hear a lot more about Rosser's wide ranging career as he joins me in the studio. Hello and welcome. Hey, Virginia. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> what were we just listening to? That was DeAndra Peake singing the uh, Star Booty theme singing song. Singing being a loose term in this case. Right. Deandra comes from a long line of sorry sisters uh, pushed out on the stage by their Mima. Mm-hmm. And um, in the kind of the tradition of the, if you ever recall the group, the Shags from the 60s. From New Hampshire. The Shags are a complete cult sensation. You know, they did one album, their three sisters, basically their father pushed them into it. The, it's the worst music you can possibly imagine. Here's just a little taste of that. Meet the Shags is the name of the record. They were sort of like an inspiration for the Peak Sisters and uh, and were created well before I came along on the Public Access show. When I came along, they already existed as a family. And so we actually had people who wrote in who wanted to be members of the fan club from fans who were just like so complimentary and just got such fun joy out of the stupid stuff that we did. Well, I have to say, you know, watching some of the old footage, there are you know, backdrops that are basically painted sheets of plastic. And it's it's so funny watching this level of production. Sometimes they're falling down in the back and people are holding them up. As it, from someone like you, who I know as a professional behind the camera, who's making sure that everything's straight and you're looking in the right place and your hair is just right and your lavalier mic is plugged in properly. Did you have to let go of all of that? I had a lot to let go, but of course that was still in the beginning of my career here because uh, I didn't actually get here until 1988. So DeAndra had already been created. Did people at GPB know? I came in the door busting it wide open, telling everybody everything I was up to. And back in those days, this was when RuPaul was kind of famous in Atlanta. And of course, he was affiliated with our show. I would clip out little bits from the paper and say, here's my friend RuPaul. Look, he's going to be famous. Look, he's going to be famous. And people were like, okay, right. Yeah, sure. You know, and stuff. But we all knew 
that he was going to be famous. Well, and, and look where he's gone. And that that's an interesting thing that as lucrative, popular, mainstream entertainment, drag is it. You know, shows like Pose and like RuPaul's Drag Race, certainly, and, and a new talk show for RuPaul. But I'm wondering about the scene at that time. I mean, we're talking about the late 80s through the 90s. AIDS, HIV crisis it was full-blown at that time. What was it like to be in this, you know, dressing up in big wigs and putting your your big stroke of eyeshadow on at that time? It was liberating. We were all scared out of our minds, you know, because of this disease that we didn't really know anything about and that a certain president basically was ignoring. And so as a consequence, hundreds of thousands of people died for no reason other than the fact that they were basically ignored. Mm. And it reflected a lot in my personal life. Let's just say I was celibate for like seven years because I was scared out of my mind, you know. And I have to say that a show like Pose is doing such a dynamic presentation of how things were back then. You see the fear in their faces and then you see them go to the ball and the joy that they give in their performances at the ball was kind of what would happen with us as well at that time. We would do our shows on TV and then we would go and do lots of stuff at clubs and everything. So we were constantly busy doing stuff all over the place. And we did what we could do back then in any way we could do it. Um, I participated with uh, ACT UP on a lot of things. Um, There was another group out called Queer Nation. And uh, they were the they were one of the leaders in the protests against Cracker Barrel back then. If you remember, Cracker Barrel had some discriminatory policies against um, you know people of color and lesbian and gay people. And so uh, I went on the back of a tr- trailer out to Cracker Barrels in Winder and stuff like that, and sang songs out in the parking lot to protest that sort of thing. Well, I should note we should note that. Uh there has been a lot of academic studies, social studies, and otherwise on President Reagan and the Reagan administration's response to HIV and AIDS, certainly. So you would not be the first person to call out that kind of criticism. But it was also the the dawn of an era of activism, certainly uh, bringing gay culture that mu- and gay activism, the movement, that much further than it had been in Stonewall. Since you mentioned Billy Porter's pose, let's hear just a little clip of that to get a sense of what you're talking about. Y'all are whistling past the graveyard. Really? Your T-cells have fallen below 200. I'm going to have to move your diagnosis of being HIV positive to having AIDS. We are dying, and it's time that we fight. I'm not posing for a mugshot. It's it's heartbreaking to hear these narratives and and to read about them. Um, Never mind if you lived through them, but a lot of young people have not. So uh, this is something I talked about with Mr. Floyd, that so many young people who didn't live through the crisis or the peak of the crisis, let's say, sorry to use peak (laughs) uh, in the wrong way, uh, of the crisis didn't experience. So is there, if you met someone new and said, like, this is the gay media you need to look at. This This is the LGBT Q-focused kind of things that are essential to understanding the movement. I hate to advertise something on another network, but again, I'll say, watch Pose. It is probably the most important program out now that can educate you on how things were back in in those times, you know, and how scary it was, and, and how we all were determined to survive, and how we were all determined to help each other survive through that period of time, and how we were also determined 
that we were going to deliver that message of our survival to everyone out there, including politicians who were going to be able to create legislation that would would help us become real people and not just a side segment, you know, that, oh, gosh, we can really ignore this because they don't actually have a voice now. And the greatest thing that I see now coming out on television is um, advertisements that just with no statement at all just show gay couples with kids uh, buying cars on vacations. It's just so great to see that kind of stuff and and just see that people these days are just being shown that sort of stuff as though it is a real part of life, which it is. I'm speaking with GPB production manager Rosser Shemansky. He retires Friday after 31 years with GPB. Well, you may not know him from behind the camera, but you may know him from from in front of the camera. He was a big drag star, Deandra Peake, one of the Peake sisters on a number of cable access shows on People TV in Atlanta. Um, you embraced the video age when videos came out. Um, did you ever dream of, you know, doing a crossover when you were working at GPB, perhaps? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, actually, I did appear on a GPTV show back in the day. Uh, Georgia Public Television is what we were called for the longest time until about 10, 12 years ago when we officially switched over to Georgia Public Broadcasting. But yes, uh, we had a show called Tangents. It was hosted by Gerald Bryant. And Gerald brought Deandra on as if Deandra was a real person. I went to work as myself in the morning. I went home, got my stuff, came back dressed up at the station and went on this TV show and he interviewed me as if I was a real person, which was exactly how Deandra was as a character. She was a real person, not played by anybody. All the media interviews I ever did, it was always as Deandra and no mention of me as a person behind that scene. Uh-huh. Which is interesting because for two reasons. I I look at the old footage and she's very sweet. You know, she's not the sharpest knife at the picnic, let's just say. But 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 not, you know, sharp or arch or, you know, sort of cocked eyebrow, sassy, hands on hips kind of drag queen. She um evolved in that way because the Peak Sisters originally were uh, a bunch of crazy bitchy um complainers, you know. All they did was complain about the fact that they they ain't got no red carpet, they ain't got no uh, you know, whatever. Uh, the producers supposedly promised them uh, throughout the whatever the concert was or whatever that whatever it was they were promised all kinds of stuff, and they never got it. And so um, what I what I did with Deandra was uh, she first started out emulating that, and then I said, well, you know what, um, that's not the kind of character that I really want to be. Let me stick out a little bit and be a little bit different. And she just kind of evolved into like this kind of a sweet little thing that just uh, loved everybody. And it, it it worked out really good for me. And, and I guess I have to ask you about your Hawaiian shirt Fridays. People used to do Hawaiian shirts here. We kind of lost it for a little while. I sort of snatched onto it. And, you know, I'm kind of the king slash queen of quirk. And Hawaiian shirt Friday is one of the quirks and perks that we get around here because we can be you know, creative and goofy at the same time while producing wonderful quality television and radio for and media for all of our listeners and viewers and stuff out there. So the thing is, is you just got to have fun. We have a serious job to do, but 
gosh, let's have fun while we do it, you know. And uh, and so I think that I I try to instill that spirit of fun in, in everybody. And, and you pull pranks on people all day long and stuff. We'll really miss that. Even <laughs> pranks and all here at GPB. I, I have to say we will miss you just terribly. What will you miss the most about working here? Television is such a fun business to work in. And, and there's a great camaraderie between media folks, uh, television and, and radio type people. Uh, there's a... A great spirit of we've got to help each other. We've got to get along. We've got to create. And uh, and that's kind of the spirit that I've always felt here. So you, as DeAndre Peek, had, you know, layered with makeup and wigs and that kind of thing. So it's not as if people recognized you. Or did they ever? Did people ever recognize you? Well, I'll tell you, I've been recognized many times outside of drag. It's interesting to me that people can actually recognize me. And I think mainly it comes from my voice. And I have to tell you, this fun, This is really funny, but um, the very first time I was on the American Music Show in 1983, I went to Malone's bookstore right next to the Plaza Theater on Ponce. It was the very next day, and I'd made my very first appearance on the American Music Show. I'm buying a book up at the counter, and the girl at the counter checking me out says, oh, I saw you on TV last night. <laughs> the very first experience I had. And she's seen me on TV. That hooked me right A lot there. of people chase that feeling their whole life of mm-hmm. performance. Mm-hmm. Did you? You know, I've always been a goofball. So, yeah, I've always kind of been a performer. Um, but I, I, I never dreamed it would turn into what it did. Well, there is a whole community of people who came to know this character and so many other things that were on people TV, but how can they find it now? Actually, uh, right now, the American Music Show is uh, part of the Rose Library at Emory University. A gentleman named Andy Ditzler over there has been absolutely wonderful and has uh, taken all 700 tapes of the American Music Show that exist uh, from 25 years of public access, and they are digitally entering all of that into the Rose Library's collection of stuff. And then uh, just about, I guess it was about a month ago or something like that, they had a uh, another retrospective at the High Museum. And so we got to go to the High Museum, and we thought it was just going to be a a showing, and then it turns out right before the thing, Andy comes up to us and says, um, there's going to be Q&A after this. Would you all like to answer some questions? And it was an hour and a half of Q&A. No after kidding. The, after the uh, screening. And so we apparently were pioneers in what we were doing because nobody else was being as out and open as we were. And we didn't intend on our show to be a gay show. Dick Richards did not produce the American Music Show as a gay show. It just happened that so much of our focus was on people we knew in the gay community who were entertainers and doing stuff, and and that was where the fun was. So that's why we went out. And Emory University is doing such a great thing by preserving all of this and uh, putting it into their digital library. And I actually have about 150 DeAndre tapes that once I retire, I'm going to be giving to them as well. So the greatest thing is being affiliated with a a University of Emory stature. I mean, that's the, you know, the Rose Library is a 10 stories tall structure on their campus. It's huge. You really came up in the world from being a gator. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I know. And and I try to tell people, don't hold that against me, you know. (laughs) I'm curious about in that hour and a half long Q 
Q&A, what were some, what was the most striking question to you? You know, well, one of the things that we make so much fun of are uh, those of us involved with the show are the questions in which people say, wow, what was the existential reason that you did this or that or the, you know, what was the overriding purpose? And I'm like, well, we all got kind of drunk and uh, we just decided to go ahead and do that. It wasn't like we were really saying. This wasn't a broad philosophical perspective that you were going for. Not for the most part. We were all about uh, just having a good time, maybe pointing out some foibles uh, that we have with our government and our society today, Um, but having a fun time doing it. And I I often figure this. I think you get a message across so much better if you're kind while you're delivering it, rather than if you're this big, angry mob. I think that was one of the successes of the American Music Show and Deandra Show was that the, the whatever the messages were that we were delivering, we were having fun doing it. And it caused people to pay attention. So, you know, it worked. How would Deandra Peake say goodbye to her audience? She'd say, y'all, I'll tell you what, get yourself some Viener sausages and go out there and make you a recipe and have yourselves a great summer and just enjoy life, y'all. Yay! <laughs> GPB's production manager, Rosser Shemansky. His title for today, anyway, this week, after Friday, he will be Rosser Shemansky, retiree. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Virginia. Great and- being here. Love y'all. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.